Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's incredibly special episode of TCCP is none other than up-and-coming Leicestershire seam bowling sensation, Josh Hull. So Josh, first things first, mate, thank you very much for taking the time to come onto the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I've got to ask, mate, how's your day been so far? Yeah, it's been a, well, first of all, pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Um, that has been pretty chilled out so far. Just, um, yeah, cook my own breakfast and then I'm just going to go for a run. But yeah, weather's put me off, so I'll probably just go to the gym later and do it there. So yeah, till that day. Well, to be honest, it sounds like a, a lovely start to the day, cooking your own breakfast. And if you don't mind me asking, Josh, in terms of said <laughs> breakfast, what did it include? Uh, you can't go wrong with a uh, bacon and egg sarnie. Oh, homemade as well. It was, yeah. <laughs> oh, what a lovely yeah. start to the day. And yeah, it has been absolutely frightful outside, though. When we're recording this, obviously the episode won't be out on the 21st of December, but yeah, the weather has been absolutely frightful. It's windy. There's been a bit of rain here in Warwickshire as well, so probably for the best to to stay inside and be here on the podcast for the time being, Josh. But obviously with with Christmas around the corner, just before we get into the main content of the podcast, which will of course be around county crickets, what have you got planned for Christmas? Are you having like a family catch-up? Are you doing anything special? Like, what is Josh Hall planning on doing for the festive season? Um, just the usual. I think we get uh, family around, um, which is always nice. Um, so yeah, just all sort of good grandparents for um, just a nice uh, roast, really. She, uh, my grandma cooks a very good one, um, which is always nice. Um, so yeah, just pretty chilled out. Um, but no, no, it's always nice for relax this time of year. Um, first couple of months of training can be quite tough on the body, so it's nice to have this period to sort of relax and um, go back fresh for the new year. Absolutely, because once that new year comes around, all of a sudden, it's the cricket season again. It comes by yeah. so quickly. It's like everyone goes, right, these these first two months of the off-season, you've got to do a lot of training, a lot of conditioning, get back into the swing of things. Suddenly it's Christmas. Suddenly it's the new year. Oh, it's April, and we're playing cricket again. That just, you know, that seems to be the case every single year. But yeah, hopefully everyone has or has had a wonderful Christmas when this podcast is released and yeah by the time this podcast is of course going out the cricket season will be fast approaching and talking of the greatest sports on the planet Josh I think that's a lovely place to kick start today's episode of the podcast and as is the case with any good story I think we have to start right at the beginning of the Josh Hall cricketing tale so what were your first ever memories of cricket either playing or watching this simply sensational game yeah, I would probably be um, always, I was always active as a kid. Um, so I, it's got to be just in the garden, um, whether it was mum or dad, or it was always my grandma who was a real uh, lover of the game as well. So she was always throwing balls at me. Um, and then obviously I've got a younger brother as well, who's uh, 16, turning 17. So once he was obviously a bit older as well, we were just constantly playing together. Um, and I mean, living on a farm as well, we were quite, quite lucky to have the space so we could be as loud as we wanted as well, um, which is always nice having no neighbours. So, I mean, thank God we didn't, some of the noise we created. But um, yeah, always always had a ball in my hand doing something. Um, 
so yeah those are probably my earliest memories well it's a lovely route into the game isn't it via that family influence you mentioned your nan and obviously the rest of your family having a massive impact on those early years and in terms of your mum's side of the family there is a little bit of a county cricket connection which I think is absolutely staggering to be honest in particular considering that you know you're now a fully fledged professional yourself Josh so in terms of that previous connection just for those out there who don't know what said connection is who was the former cricketer that you have in that family? Yeah, so um, my mum's side, so my grandma, um, she she actually played cricket as well, but her brother, uh, Grenville Wilson, played for Worcester. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the link. He was actually a left-arm seam bowler as well, so a bit bizarre in that. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that because, yes, he was. I was going to mention that intrinsic link. It's very, very strange, isn't it? Of all the things that he could have been, left-arm seam bowler for Worcestershire in the 1950s, played 13 first-class matches over the course of his career for the West Midlands outfit. And now, fast forward all of these years, and you're playing for Leicestershire. It's it's quite mm. cyclical, isn't it? It's funny how life yeah, works is, out yeah. sometimes. really is. Goodness gracious yeah. me. And in terms of those formative years, Josh, aside from family influences, I'm guessing by that description, your nan had an absolutely tremendous impact on those formative years. But... Aside from family influence, did you have anybody in the professional game itself, either in domestic or indeed international cricket, who you tried to emulate in those early years, per se? Early years, probably not so much. I was always, I always loved little bits of each players and sort of um, not only like techniques but characters and stuff. But I feel probably even in like the last few years, um, once I sort of, you know realised what my role in the game was. Um, someone like Mitchell Stark, was he's probably the main one. Um, just, you know, similar height, left arm, does what I wants to do as well. Like, you know, swings the ball, bowls good pace. So he's probably the, the one cricketer who I idolise the most. Fair enough. Wonderful shouts. He's just become the, the most expensive player in the history of the yeah, IPL yeah. as well. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, It's quite a good time for Mitchell Stark, to be honest. And in terms of specific deliveries, there's always two which I think of when anybody discusses Mitchell Stark. I think the first one is that ball to James Vince, which is an absolute jaffer. Honestly, one of the best balls I've ever seen in the history of the Ashes. And the other one has got to be the one to Brendan McCullum in the 2015 World Cup final. Yeah. I mean, honestly, either of those two, if you're a left-arm seam bowler, you just look at those and you think, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's exactly yeah. the kind of bowler that I want to be. So a, a wonderful choice there, to be honest, Josh. And in terms of seam bowling then, why did you become a seam bowler in the first place? Because there is a very obvious biological advantage. Of course, you're six foot seven. That does help you generate some extra pace, yeah. some extra bounce on the ball itself. But in terms of becoming a seam bowler, was this something that you always had your heart and mind set on? Or did you ever want to become a batter or even a keeper per se? Did you always have your heart set? on becoming a seam bowler? Uh, I think, um, you know, from a young age, you obviously always experiment with everything. Um, like I can't say I tried to put the keeping gloves on myself in the garden and tried that out. And even batting, I suppose, um, you know, I still love it now. But I think bowling, like you say, with with my height and stuff, it was, um, it was always going to sort of work out that way, I think. Um, and I just love it as well. So, yeah, I think it was, I was always going to be a bowler. 
Yeah, definitely. And to be honest, mate, I think it's safe to say at this point that it's paid off, as we'll discuss later on in the podcast when we talk about the One Day Cup and that incredible day at Trent Bridge. But before we jump the gun and we talk about Leicestershire, of course, and we talk a little bit about club cricket as well, Josh, I always love really taking an extra deep focus on the art of seeing bowling itself because it's a fascinating discipline. It really is. It's something which I could never master. I gave up on it at a very, very early age. So when you have someone who is prolific in the discipline itself, I think it's great to get that additional insight. So in terms of your favourite aspects of seeing bowling, what is it about this art form which brings Josh Hall back time and time and time again? Oh, I mean, um, it's a good question. Um, I think it's just got to be the... It's got to be the pace, isn't it? Do you know what I mean, you, you look on the TV and um, I think growing up, I mean, now it's probably a bit different. Like, you know, you, the art of swing bowling, I think it's just unbelievable. Um, but I think, you know, it's always, if you're looking on the TV, you've got so many examples. I mean, Starks won, but Brett Lee and um, people, you know, seeing on the TV bowling like 90 plus mile an hour. I mean, even like Mark Wood in the last Asher series. Um, just, you know, came in, was it that third test at Headingley? Um, you know, when England sort of needed something and watching his spell, just every ball being 90 plus mile an hour and just, it it shows how much it can, you know, upset the batsman. And I think that was certainly probably my favourite um, aspect of fast bowling. Yeah, good answer. I think for a lot of people that is the case, isn't it? It's watching those rock and roll stars of cricket. For example, the likes of a Brett Lee, the likes of a Sherbaktar in years gone by. Sean Tate, Joffre Archer, Mark Wood. I'm so glad you mentioned that spell at Headingley. That was special, wasn't it, to be honest? Yeah, I mean, every single ball, almost breaking the speed gun. It was like 93 mm. mile an hour plus. It was yeah. absolutely blockbuster stuff for any yeah. fan of seeing bowling guns. In terms of particular dismissal types and even deliveries, Josh, first and foremost, what do you say is your favourite delivery to bowl? Because a lot of seamers come on this podcast and it's one of two. So it's either the characteristic outswing, which nips the edge of the bats and obviously is caught either by the keeper or the slips, or it's it's the bouncer. A lot of bowlers say that because it keeps the opposition <laughs> on their toes yeah. and you can become almost the enforcer in an inning. So in terms of your personal view on seam bowling, what is your favourite delivery to bowl? Um, I mean, the bounce is a good shout, but for me, being left arm, it's it's got to be that in-swing into the right-hander. I mean, that... Yeah, I think there's nothing more satisfying than, you know, blowing the front dog off a, off a right-hander. Um, I remember in the, I think it was, well, the World Cup just gone, um, when Stark took that hat-trick against Netherlands. I mean, that those three deliveries are just like, for me, perfection. Um, that's what I'll try and look to bowl most of the time. Um, so I'd say that's that's my favourite delivery, just in-swing into the right-hander, um, bowl LBW. Lovely, lovely answer. To be honest, if I did have a hat, I'd take it off right now because it is the quintessential <laughs> left arm scene dismissal. It is a thing of beauty, isn't it, to be honest? And Mitchell Stark, I think, in the modern game, definitely is the the architect of that, isn't he? He probably is the go-to yeah. example, to be honest, yeah, when we yeah. think of that dismissal. So, yeah, great shouts. And in terms of the dismissals themselves, you mentioned LBW and Bold coming into play there. Which of those two do you actually prefer? Do you prefer trapping them plum LBW or seeing those stumps going absolutely flying. What does Josh Hall prefer in terms of dismissal type? Um, oh, God, it's a difficult one. I mean, I'd take both, but 
Um, I think uh, you got to go bold. I think got to go bold. Just you know, if you can, especially if you make a stunt go out of the ground as well, then that's even more special. <laughs> Yeah, it certainly is. It's one of the greatest sights in all of sports, to be honest, let alone cricket. Seeing a stump just cartwheeling, you know, almost yeah, in yeah. slow motion. It looks like something out of a, a blockbuster yeah. film. It's cinematic, it's poetic, it's exactly why people play this game is to see moments yeah, like yeah. that. The noise Unless as you... well. Yeah, oh, the ping. Can't it's the ping it. of yeah, the wood, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, again. It's just a great sport, isn't it, to be honest? You know, when we have these conversations, you just realise how great cricket is, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Never gets old. We haven't even just seen a dismissal. Merely talking about it is eliciting this response. That's how special this game is. So, yeah, (laughs) honestly, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant if you can achieve that kind of dismissal. And in terms of bowling itself, Josh, this is a question that I do quite like to ask because I think it's interesting to see how different scene bowlers view themselves. But on the cricket pitch, how would you describe yourself as a scene bowler? Are you a swing artist? Are you an enforcer? Are you aggressive on the cricket pitch? How do you view yourself as that type of scene bowler? Um, I mean, the minute, these are, sort of, these are the sort of things I want to work on. Um, you know, I think when you talk about combinations, I'd love to have that. Obviously, I feel like, Swinging the ball consistently is one thing I certainly want to work on more. Um, just obviously in terms, that's going to what that's going to make you a better player. It's going to get you more wickets and be more troubling, I guess. But then I love watching like Mitchell Johnson, for example. That like, um, I mean, I was too young to watch it, but that sort of um, Ashes series, 2013, I think it was. That was just like his fire in that and that sort of theory put into batsmen. Certainly something which I'd I'd love to try and create. Um, that I think it's just an awesome uh, um, attribute to sort of have. Be mean. <laughs> yeah, that's one way of putting it. With with Mitchell Johnson, he was an absolute nightmare, wasn't he? In that 2013 Ashes, I mean, goodness me, that was a horrible series, by the way, for anyone who does remember that yeah. tour, because <laughs> England won in 2013, and you thought, all oh, right, okay, it's not going to be too bad. Yeah, and then we got whitewashed. <laughs> Mitchell Johnson completely destroyed everyone. Graham Swan yeah. retired mid-tour and yeah, it was an absolute yeah. disaster, to be honest, in, in a cricketing capacity. But yeah, it, it must be great, mustn't it, to have that kind of aura. You know, I think of someone like an Alan Donald. I know he wasn't quite as intimidating in terms of his behaviour, but in terms of those kind of bowlers then, Josh, they did experience something known as white line fever. And again, this is a concept which I always touch upon on the podcast. Just for those who, first and foremost, don't know what it is, white line fever is basically when you allow your emotions and the aggression to get one over on you on the cricket pitch and you might begin to lose your way, you might get to become a little bit overly aggressive. So in terms of your bowling, Josh, first and foremost, have you ever experienced white line fever on the cricket pitch? I can't say I have, to be honest. Um, And I think, like you say, it's one of those ones where it's just getting that balance right where you... You know, you you want to be fiery and you want to be aggressive, I guess, but it's kind of that limit as well. So that, like you say, it doesn't get, don't let your emotions get too on top. So otherwise it does have a big impact on your, on your game. Um, I mean, even like the final for me, um, you know, you always hear the saying like, um, play the game, not the occasion. 
And um, it's amazing how as soon as you get a big crowd sort of like that all behind you, how you your emotions can can get too much and you sort of your mind goes slightly away from the game. Um, and obviously that then affects affects your bowling. So I think it's so important, like you say, to obviously have um, those emotions, but don't let it get too uh, too on top and, you know, make sure you're still um, level headed so that, you know, it doesn't affect affect your bowling. 100% and that is an excellent attitude to have at such an early stage of your career, Josh. That'll set you on a very, very good path in this game, to be honest. It really will, mate, and we'll touch upon that when we talk about the final in due course. But in terms of those times, let's say when the ball isn't being delivered how you want it to be, or for example, when you feel as though the, the weight of expectations is a bit too much on the cricket field and the pressure's weighing down on your shoulders per se, do you have any methods, any tactics, any strategies to almost calm yourself down in the heat of battle? This is something which a lot of scene bowlers talk about, whether it's in terms of a specific routine, in terms of breathing techniques, stuff like that. Do you have anything that you can employ during a cricket match which almost does prevent that white line fever from from setting in, per se? Yeah, I guess um, this is where I'm still learning, you know, as well. Like, I'm, I haven't played a huge amount of cricket, and so these are sort of the experiences you're going to learn and stuff which you're certainly going to um, learn from obviously taking two seasons um, ahead. Uh, but I guess, like you say, little things like breathing and um, I think just, you know, the simple ones just concentrate on every ball, like make that next ball the most sort of important thing. Um, and... Yeah, I guess I guess that's all you can do, really. And just try and not get too caught up on the whole occasion. And I think for bowling, it's quite normal as well that, you know, it's difficult. You know, it's not necessarily always going to go perfectly. And I think it's just trying to understand that. Um, and, yeah, just, just try and make every ball and like, just back your process. You always have a process going into a game. And I think just back it. And at the end of the day, that's all you can do. Um, if it's not your day, it's not your day. But, yeah, I think just focusing on each ball back in your process that's as much as you can do really it is and the great thing about bowling whether this is seam or indeed spin is that you have got a second chance haven't you this is something yeah, exactly. which isn't afforded to you when you've got the bat in hand because if you make one mistake you know you chip it up in the air or you completely play a miss down the wrong line and you get bowled you're out it's done mm. unless it's a first class match and you might have a second innings but in particular in white ball crickets you've got one shot one chance one opportunity and if you squander it, it's gone. Whereas as a bowler, the great thing about it is if your last ball went for six, theoretically, your next ball can always be a wicket. You can always get yeah. yourself back into the game. And that is exactly the approach, the mentality and the mindset that you do have to operate with. And before we touch upon county cricket, because again, you've had a fascinating story at Leicestershire so far, Josh, just in terms of those more difficult aspects of this particular art form, because... Seam bowling is tough. It's really, really tough in terms of both the, the psychological aspects and, of course, the, the physical toll that it does have on your body. What do you say is the most difficult aspect of being a professional seam bowler? Um, for me, I think that this last year has probably been sort of like probably the quantity as well. Like, it's the kinds of cricket, like, grind is tough. I mean, it's that. Being young as well, I always want to work on stuff. And so it's difficult in the season where obviously you can't necessarily, you don't have the time in the overs to work on stuff because, you know, if you, 
this, you do less training in the nets because of games. Like if you're going into a four day game, you don't want to massively bowl in the nets before it because you want to be fresh for the game. So it's it's probably the the quantity. I think that was a huge thing for me. I, like it's tough on the body. It's you know it's long days in the dirt, and that was the main jump for me. I mean, my first year before that, I think um, the year before, obviously, it was my first year playing some twos cricket. And that was the first time I'd even played like a three, four day game. Um, so then coming into first class cricket, then going straight into almost the big stage, I guess you could say it was, that was probably the main thing, you know, obviously the, the occasion and um, just the quantity of overs is like huge compared to what I have done previously. Um, so yeah, I think probably the, just the toughness on the body, that's probably the hardest part I'd say. Um, and then obviously trying to, maintain um because you know once you get tired it then becomes difficult to then focus on your you, you know you can lose your action a bit and then trying to you know what i mean bowling then becomes difficult so um i guess it all stems from from that so that was the main thing i noticed about this year just fatigue and toughness on the body well that's completely understandable because it is a massive step up isn't it let's be completely honest from the likes of club crickets and even second 11 cricket all of a sudden, you're playing four-day cricket, you're playing T20s, you're playing list-day cricket, and I can't imagine the the toll on the body does multiply, doesn't it, massively, to mm. be honest. It's far more than anything that you would have expected beforehand. And in terms of that route into county cricket, that's a lovely lead-in to our chat about Leicestershire. Honestly, you couldn't have set me up any better there, to be honest, Josh. That's like a nice, juicy half-volley outside off. But in terms of, of that journey, right, that route, from those days, as a young kid, playing with your brother playing with your nan in the back garden. How did you go from those tentative years in this game to representing Leicestershire County Cricket Club? In terms of the routes, in terms of the pathway, what steps did you take to actually achieve this particular dream? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's something I've thought about quite a bit. It's, it's happened so quick. Um, I mean, two years ago, you know, I was sat in this room revising for my A-levels, you know what I mean? And... Um, to have played my first year of academy cricket. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, this time of year, I just got, two years ago today, I just got told, not today, but around this time, I just got told that I was going to join the academy at Leicester. Um, so how, how did I get in that position? I was, um, so I actually played a bit of, I trialled for North Ants when I was, um, how old I've been, like 13 to 15. Um, didn't get in the first year. Um, and then trial again like two years later and I played a bit of like age group under sort of 17s there for a year um, and just yeah then I didn't really see a place for me there I guess and then Dean Headley who's our our um, director of cricket at Stanford School he um, he was the one who then sort of said because obviously playing for North Hunter, played against Leicester um and obviously he knew the academy directs at Leicester quite well and he obviously had links to them and um he always said that you know they're quite interested in you there um so that's when I said look like I you know I had a, I spoke to him and that's when I sort of agreed to then go to Leicester um and obviously just sort of train with them for training the academy in November December um and then got told I was going to join the academy so this is going into 2022. Um, and then, yeah, like one of those years where I didn't really 
know the whole setup that well. So I just sort of just played and enjoyed it, enjoyed working coaches for sort of my first proper year, really, um, working with Daffy. And then obviously got the opportunity to play a few second team games, um, which obviously then led to me getting signed in end of September and then going into my first year of professional cricket. Goodness me, it really is quite the, the accelerated route into the game, isn't it? Everything's come <laughs> yeah, by you very, very quickly then, by that description. Yeah. In terms of that initial impression of Leicestershire, what did you make of the club itself? Because in terms of the facilities, I'm guessing they would have been completely different to what you would have experienced beforehand. I know that Stamford School, they do have good cricket mm. facilities, but in terms of that jump from Stamford School and, of course, club cricket for Roundall Town, what did you make of Leicestershire as a unit, as a club, and I suppose as an organisation? Because it must have been pretty surreal, to be honest, in terms of making that jump in in such a short space of time. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, obviously, I'd say Arundel and Stanford, like, they were great. Um, I mean, that's, like I said, that's where I really kick-started my journey, obviously playing um, cricket, obviously, from year seven, so I'd have been, you know, 11 years old through to sixth form and then Arundel Town was the same, played there from under nines through and obviously that just gave me the great opportunity to um, just play. Um, and then I guess then difference I got at Leicester was just, as soon as you go there, you just get this like family feeling, like it's great and um, working with um, Phil Freitas Daffy, who was obviously the bowling coach at the academy, he was just, he was awesome. Um, and I just enjoyed every moment of that, obviously, First time I had, you know, proper um, technical coaching. Um, and then that's when I just really started to develop, I guess, um, which then obviously led to me um, getting signed. So, yeah. Well, honestly, it is a remarkable tale, isn't it, to be honest, in terms of how everything has just come about in that very, very short time frame. But in terms of that time in the second eleven. How useful mm-hmm. would you say that's been in terms of your development? Because obviously it isn't the same as playing first 11 cricket, right? Because the, the schedule's a little bit, you know, less, well, jam-packed, let's face it, mm. compared to, to first 11 cricket where you've got three competitions going on concurrently throughout the season. But in terms of that time spent with the Foxes' second 11, how useful, how pivotal has that been in terms of putting you on the right steps on this journey as a pro cricketer? Yeah, I mean, it was great. Um, obviously, I think I only played like three, four games that year. Um, but it was just that good step up from, obviously, academy cricket, you're, you're playing everyone your own age. Um, whereas once you then go out to play um, twos cricket, it was that, it was the closest you obviously then get to first team cricket. You know, you're you're playing with professional, you're playing with and against professional cricketers. Um and you know the step up then goes to you're playing four day cricket as well um so it's like uh, let's get the opportunities like that i suppose it really really helps you in terms of (laughs) it is going to be a little bit of a left field question josh but in terms of those pros at leicestershire you mentioned about the the family feeling surrounding the club who was the first professional that you actually met at grace road aside from the coaching staff who who in the playing 11 did did you meet first if you can remember um trying to think so the first time i mixed was a two training session came in for um 
And I think the first couple were Roman Walker. Um, I think Tom Scriven was one as well. He was a, I remember he commented about my hair. I think he actually had a mullet as well at the time. Um, so just like little jokes like that, I guess. And it just, you know, it makes you feel more welcome. I mean, Roman's, you know, also a, like, he's a great bloke as well. He's also welcoming. So um, those are the first two I remember off the top of my head. Um, who I first spoke to. So, yeah, there's obviously a few more there to name as well. Fair enough. I mean, two excellent characters to bump into in terms of that first impression, both Roman and Tom, both of whom have been on the podcast as well and were wonderful guests. So shout out to Roman and, of course, Tom Scriven as well. Absolutely fantastic blokes, those two, and some excellent cricketers. Now one-day cup winners as well, which must be a lovely title to take into the future. But, Josh, before we do discuss that unforgettable day at Trent Bridge, because I want to discuss that at a lot of length, if we can. In terms of that initial contract, right, first and foremost, when did you find out about that? And what were the emotions, what were the feelings like on the day that you finally found out that the dream had almost been realised in many ways? Um, I mean, I think it was like a week before I got offered it. We were playing a twos game away in Durham. Um, and obviously a few little things get said. Um and, you know, there was, oh, there's a chance, a chance. And I never obviously, like, banked on it. I mean, people were obviously saying, you know, you, you are and stuff. And I just sort of, I never tried to, I just, you know, just always saw it as a maybe. Um, but then I remember obviously having my appraisal um, with Claude the following week. And, um, yeah, I went in with my mum. And I thought my season was done, actually. Um, and I thought, you know, if I get offered it, like, what a nice way to... Uh, Closing the season, um, and obviously went in, got offered my contracts, and um, yeah, I mean it was certainly, I mean it's a dream come true, you could say, isn't it? Like it's, you know, you spend, you know, it's been a dream to play professional sport since I've been, you know, a little kid. So um, yeah, it was a great feeling when I got got offered that that contract. So I can imagine it was. I mean, as you've just so eloquently put to be honest Josh it is the dream isn't it it's something which to be honest millions of people wish they could experience Mm. and unfortunately for 99.9% of the population they never will so to have actually Mm. achieved that to have that contract on the table to sign it and become a professional cricketer must be one of the greatest feelings on the planet and obviously from that initial contract signing you went on to make your debut for the Foxes earlier this season in 2023 in what was a tremendously historical match for the Foxes, wasn't it? An incredible victory yeah, was, yeah. up at Headingley. I mean, it was the first first time that Leicester had beaten Yorkshire in the county championship at Headingley since 1910. So this was a moment 113 years in the making. So quite the debut, to say the least, obviously aside from just the, the personal memories. But in terms of that day, in terms of that occasion, and of course in terms of the match, First and foremost, what can you remember about the debut itself? And again, what's going through your head during that match as you stepped out onto that field and represented the Foxes of Leicestershire for the very first time? Yeah, no, it was a very special day. Um, Obviously, I mean, I remember it very well. Um, Obviously, first thing, getting your cap, that's a huge moment. Um, And then, yeah, I suppose you then... I remember just warming up and then you're, you're watching Captain do the toss. Um, I think we won the toss. We, lose. we bowled, bowled first anyway. And obviously it's that, 
you know, a little stressful period where you, you know, you're bowling your final final balls and you're getting upstairs, um, getting changed and have to admit in that like huddle before you go out, there's a few nerves. Um and then yeah, it was just that um I remember being down at Fine Leg and Hilly giving me the thumbs up to next over. Um then it came on and like the sixth over or something like that. Um I suppose in that moment then it's kind of just trying to enjoy it. I just wanted to get my first first over out of the way, first couple of balls out of the way. Um and I mean, you know, as soon as I got that wicket of um Adam Live in my fourth ball, that was um yeah, a feeling I'll never forget. Obviously having my parents in the crowd as well. Um that was pretty special. Um and then from there it was just kind of obviously not trying to get too ahead of yourself, it's just kind of just, you know, taking it spell by spell, um, keep enjoying it. You know, I said my first time really playing in a big I mean, I've never even been to Headingley before that. So first time going there, um, playing, you know, in front of a crowd as well. Um a lot of new experiences, but you know, it took some great learnings from it as well. Absolutely. And yes, yeah, spot on in terms of your first wicket. I was going to ask about that. Adam Lloyd, LBW, for 21 yeah. in the 10th over of that first yeah. innings. I mean, an excellent scalp to get as your first wicket in first class cricket. And in terms of the batting, I mean, I know you didn't quite touch upon it there, but a dogged 15 from 57 balls in the Foxes' yeah. first innings. I did just have a, a bit of a question, actually, about that partnership, a partnership of 65 runs between yourself and Chris Wright. What was it like batting with him in the middle? Because during that entire game, he was like a demon, wasn't he? I mean, he scored 106 unbeaten runs. So he scored 66 yeah. outs in that first innings and then 49 out in the second to ultimately get the Foxes over the line by three wickets. But in terms of batting with Wrighty on that day, what was that like? And what were the conversations in the middle like? Yeah, it was... Um, I remember getting out there because I was supposed to be batting 11 and Matt Salisbury had done his cast. I went in a 10. I think I was going on a, in on a. Um, I think we lost two quick. I think we lost two wickets in like three balls or something. Um, and I think we needed needed like thirty or forty to get past a follow on something like that. Which you look back now and like that was such a huge moment in the game. Like, if, you know, if I got if one of us got out quickly, then you know it would have been impossible to win the game essentially. Um, so when I went out there, it was kind of just um, you know, right? He's very experienced player. He's been in many scenarios like that. So. For me, it was just kind of, I felt pretty calm getting out, to be fair. Um, and obviously, he was on a you know handful of runs going out there. So, I was kind of just thinking, you know, just stay in. Um, almost let him bat in a way, um, which I did essentially. Um, try and put the odd boundary away myself and just keep trying to tick over, get get past the follow-on, which we did. And, um, yeah, but no, he was, he was yeah, very um, helpful out in the middle. A lot of experience behind him and good knowledge to uh, talk to. So, yeah. Yeah, he certainly has. He's a wonderful character, is Chris Wright, and a very, very good bloke as well. So, really glad to hear that, Josh. And in terms of the rest of the match, obviously now talking about the, the second innings. So, you got that maiden wicket absolutely spot on. In terms of the, the other three wickets they took in that match, can you remember who they were? Yeah, it was uh, Milan. I remember that was my first couple overs I think uh, that one yeah Milan just chipped one up then the next day yeah it was day four then opened the bowling again and it was Shea Hope I think it was my first ball and that's fell and then Jordan Thompson 
Fair play, fair play. I mean, we we did speak before the the podcast about you being a badger, Josh. So yeah, I think you've <laughs> reinforced those credentials. To be honest, absolutely spot on. Yeah, three for sixty eight from eight overs, dismissing Dowd Milan, Shea Hope, and Jordan Thompson. I mean, that is some quartet of wickets to take in your first first class match, isn't it? Adam Lyth, Milan, Shea Hope, who's been smashing it all over the West Indies, and Jordan Thompson, who's a consummate county professional and is now playing franchise cricket around the world as well. So, yeah, very, very good wickets to to say the least on your first-class debut. And in terms of those winning moments, again, what was that like? Because not many cricketers actually win on first-class debut, and in particular in that manner, given the fact that at one point, Leicestershire almost looked out of the game. As you mentioned, if that follow-on would have been enforced and you two would have been bowled very quickly, would have been a completely different game. So in terms of the... I don't know, the outpouring of relief and the emotions at the end of that game. Again, what was that like when those winning runs were actually scored? I mean, I was um, I was stressing quite a bit, I'll be honest. I was, um, I was next in the bat. Um, and I think we were getting nicely and Rishi obviously got 100. Um, then he got out. Um, and then I remember when Variety then went in um, and I was sort of thinking, I think we needed, still needed like can't remember we were setting up 40 or 50 or something like that and i just thought you know like we're batting for a draw here like you know i wanted to know i was in next like how do we play um and then right just started whacking it like he did in the first innings and then total kept going down and then pete then hit um he then hit a six as well and then suddenly it was like under 20 and then everyone was just like obviously we're going for it now and then i was just there thinking christ like you know i'm in next to bat and um and then, yeah, it just kept getting lower and lower. And then obviously got to, like, you know, one run to win, I think it was. Everyone was obviously just went, right, we're going out to the balcony. I was just still sat in the hut. Um, I didn't want to move. I hadn't moved for the, since, since Righty went in. So I was like, I'm staying here just in case. Um, so everyone went out on the balcony. I was just sat in there on my own. And then Righty hit that in. Um, and, yeah, just it was an unbelievable feeling. Um, I mean, like the lad said after, you know, um, just you know, they've played so many first class games, and you know, the amount of wins they've had, you know, not many. And so, they were just telling me how you know, how rare and you know, how lucky it was for me to come in and first game on debut to get a win, especially against Yorkshire away. So, you know, it was a very, very special moment. It certainly was, and yeah, a deserving win to be honest for the Foxes in the end. A very, very complete performance. and that run chase was special, wasn't it, between Wright and Peter Hanscombe? I mean, it's something which will be replayed for many, many years to come. And aside from that championship debut, because obviously that was tremendously special, Josh, we do have to talk about another competition, which I think a lot of Leicestershire fans will remember for the rest of their lives, to be honest. They'll be talking about this day, this particular occasion for the rest of their lives and passing it on to the next generation of Foxes fans. So we've got to talk about the Metrobank One Day Cup. And in terms of that competition as a whole, first and foremost, in terms of the the route to the final itself, how do you reflect and summarise your performances in the competition? Because, uh, again, you got off to a great start, didn't you, in terms of your list A debut, taking one for 52 against Surrey at the Oval in a five-wicket victory. Again, that was <laughs> quite the debut, wasn't it? Let's face it, in the 50-over format. But... In terms of the, the wider competition as a whole, before the final, how do you reflect and look back on that competition with the power of hindsight? Yeah, I think um, it's certainly a tournament which 
you know, on a personal level, I was quite surprised with my sort of individual performances. I mean, getting back to that first game at Surrey, I mean, I wasn't even supposed to be playing. Um, I mean, we rocked up and, um, yeah, I wasn't actually in the starting 11. Uh, we were going to play at some Nalegi. And it wasn't until we got to Surrey and then um, the grounds and then said that we were playing on, you know, a fresh wicket with like a 50-metre boundary. So then that's when I got back to the hotel and Alfonso then said, like, look, you know, if the news is true, then I'm going to play. And I was just thinking, you know, Christ, I, you know, not, obviously I was prepared, but mentally, you know, I was, didn't think I was going to start. So then obviously got the, made my debut. Um, and yeah, like bowled all right that game. Um, and then obviously we had Kent a couple of days after. And then it was the third game against Notts, which we actually lost in when I got, um, I think I took four wickets that game. Um, and then, yeah, I suppose, um, yeah, I just kept playing, you know, most of the games. And, um, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it, to be fair. Um, we had a good, strong bowling attack. I think we bowled well as a unit and um, we led up nicely to that final. It certainly did. I mean, it was a fantastic competition, wasn't it, for the Foxes? You know, absolutely dominance in the group stages and then obviously that semi-final as well against Gloucestershire. Gloss mm. had a very strong team this season. Yeah, they really did and obviously they performed very well in that quarter-final against Langs in Bristol. That century from Miles Hammond really was a highlight in terms of the competition as a whole. But in terms of that final, Josh, we've got to talk about it. I don't think the Leicestershire fans tuning into the podcast would ever forgive me if we didn't touch <laughs> upon that in a bit more detail. So in terms of the day itself, Rocking up to Trent Bridge, seeing all of those fans out there in attendance, seeing the Sky Sports cameras, seeing the the trophy itself, the Metro Bank One Day Cup, the brand new silverware in England and Wales. I mean, what's going through your head stepping out onto that field before the match actually started? I mean, I'm guessing there were some nerves. I'm guessing you're probably feeling a little bit anxious. But in terms of those emotions, those feelings before a ball had even been bowled, what's going through your head on that fateful day? Yeah, again, it was, I mean, whole new feeling that final, like you say, you're, it's the first final I've probably ever played in. Um, and just, like you say, having Sky there, you know, there's commentators there, which I've seen on TV. Um, and, you know, seeing the whole setup, it was crazy. Like, obviously, first time I've ever seen it. Um, and just like the whole vibe, I think, obviously, as a team, we were, you know, the atmosphere was good. I think, you know, we were just treating it just like another game. I think we were pretty calm and we all had our processes in, in place. So, um, I think nerves weren't too bad. I think just, you know, the whole scenario, playing at Trent Bridge, against Hampshire in the final. Um, yeah, just, um, yeah, it was wild. But, um, yeah, just the whole, the whole game really was just, um, I mean, thinking about it now, just crazy. How the start we got, um, just uh, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, I think that's the the perfect way to describe it. To be honest, unbelievable. It really did defy belief, didn't it? That that game in terms of the ebbs, the flows, Harry Swindles with the heroics as well. I mean, the guy was on the verge of not even being a professional cricketer in mm. 2024, and then he goes and produces that, and obviously as a result, it's resurrected his county career as well, which is absolutely fantastic. It's something which, again, he'll remember for for the rest of his life, as will Sam Evans, with that incredible supporting half-century. But in terms of that start, Josh, because I have asked 
multiple players who are involved on that day. So, for example, the likes of Chris Wright and Tom Scriven about that particular start. What was going through your heads when you saw on the scorecard 19 for four? I mean, be honest. <laughs> Did you think you could win it from that moment? No. I mean, well, I, I was. I started out on the bal- balcony um, and, you know, we then started, lost the first wicket and obviously it's fine. And we lost another... And then I think it got to fall down and I just had to, you know, I walked away from the balcony and I went inside and I remember, um, obviously there's a couple of TVs inside the dressing room. Um, and I just, I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't stop walking around. Like I was just constantly on my feet, like, um, not stressing, but just like, you know, you have that sense of almost like this can't be happening. Like, this is not what we've been playing like, I guess. Um, but it's just one of those scenarios where, um, you know, I felt like there was always going to be someone who's going to get us out of that sticky situation, which is obviously that partnership with um, Swin and Smev. Um, and, yeah, just um, unbelievable partnership. Um, yeah, like just credit to them. I mean, it was unbelievable to watch. It really was. I mean, it's something which I don't think we'll ever see replicated in a one-day cup final ever again. In terms of two local lads, products of Leicester Ivanhoe Cricket Club, producing those levels of heroics after such a poor start. I mean, you can't even write that. You could give that script to Hollywood and they wouldn't be able to Mm. replicate that, to be honest. You can't, you can't. It was extraordinary. It really did defy belief. And in terms of the the end of that 50 overs, because all of a sudden from 19 for four, you've got 267 on the board, which was a more than competitive total in Mm. particular, when you think about the pressure of a final. It's completely different chasing 2-6-8s in the group stage compared to 2-6-8s in the final, when you know it's the final shot to to win the competition. So, in terms of that innings break, I mean, again, the likes of of Scriv and Chris Wright have come on the podcast and said that the mood completely changed, and all of a sudden there was that belief. But in terms of your bowling... I mean, did you think you could go out there and, and be the match winner in terms of, of the match itself? Like, what's going through your head at the innings break just before you went onto that field and started bowling in that second innings? Yeah, I think like you say, when from 1940, you're just thinking, like, just get to 200, like, make it competitive. And then, um, and obviously, then, and then suddenly you were thinking, get to 220, and then it was 240. And I remember, obviously, on the TV when you're watching, the last like 10 overs, they say, if you go at sixes, you'll get this score. If you go at 10, you know what I mean? Like gives you a predicted score. And um, and I think we obviously went at eight to 10s in the last 10 overs to get to that 260. So we hit that 260, Swindon obviously got his 100. I was just, you know, I was getting myself ready, trying to eat a bit of food in the jetting room. And obviously all I was thinking was, you know, like we're in it, obviously. Um, like 260s in a final is perfectly... Um, competitive score um so again it was just trying to keep yourself calm you know try and we all had our plans as bowlers um so yeah it was just then just going out there trying to execute the plans and at the same time try and enjoy the atmosphere of being at you know almost a home final for us um so yeah that was sort of my thought process obviously there were a few nerves going around i can't lie but um no no i was i was excited too fair to get out there and yeah, try and get it done. 
Well, to be honest, Josh, those nerves are completely understandable, aren't they? Because this is a major final, and obviously we all know the the stat now that it did ultimately turn into Leicestershire's first one-day cup victory since 1985. This was a victory that was many, many years in the making. So I, I can imagine the, the nerves and the pressure would have been tremendous, to be honest, throughout that run chase. But you mentioned the support from the Leicestershire faithful because from ball one, right until the very ends of that run chase, they were absolutely phenomenal. They turned Trent Bridge into Grace Road 2.0 and that stand that was absolutely packed to the brim with Fox's fans really did have a massive impact on the game itself in terms of that support, in terms of that vociferous nature of backing the team. They did make all the difference, in particular in those pressure moments. So in terms of the atmosphere itself, I mean, what was that like playing in front of a crowd of that size? Yeah, like like I said earlier, I think... um... Obviously, I've, I've played in some, you know, probably crowds slightly bigger than that maybe, but they've always been away. So, you know, you might bowl well and you hear nothing, but that was the first time where I feel like I've had a proper home crowd like that, cheering you on, like say, right from the start. Um, like, you know, even when we were 19 for four, you know, I feel most crowds would, would shut off. Um, you know, they would, you know, probably be a bit angry about upset and, you know, offer nothing, but... I remember each single from 19 for four, it was like the place erupted still. Like it was unbelievable to see. Um, and even when we went out to bowl, um, obviously there was moments when, you know, they were, I mean, I felt they were probably ahead of the game most of the time. Um, and there were little periods where, you know, a couple of catches in the field, a couple of like run out from uh, Vian as well. And, you know, like just every time a moment like that happened, the place would just erupt and, um, it was unbelievable to experience. Uh, it was certainly a feeling I'll never, never forget. And to be honest, I think that the fans would probably echo that sentiment, to be honest, Josh. It is. It's just one of those moments which will live long in the memory of everybody associated with Leicestershire County Cricket Club and even the neutrals. You know, myself and Kieran, I support Warwickshire, he supports Yorkshire. We were there in the press box at Trent Bridge and, I mean, we were just taken aback by it, to be honest. It was exactly the final that the Metro Bank One Day Cup deserve this season. And in terms of those final moments, and in particular, that last over, you've got to take us through that, because what on earth is going through your head <laughs> in the final over of a 50-over final? You know, at the age of 19, for such a young cricketer in his first season as a professional, bear in mind that just last year he'd been playing second eleven cricket in front of no crowds whatsoever, and all of a sudden you're bowling the very last over to two very experienced, very capable county professionals in Liam Dawson and Keith Barker. What was going through your heads as you went into bowl that 50th and final over? Um, you know what? I was, I was surprisingly calm. Like, uh, I think I was more nervous watching, even now, putting that final, I think I'm more nervous watching it back than I actually was in the moment. Um, I think, I, you know, I had a set plan of... Obviously, it was Barker and Dawson at the crease. Um, I think I had Barker first ball. And so my plans were just to Barker, just like nail, try and nail your Yorkers, like cramp him up, don't give him like any room. Um, and then to Dawson, I just tried to go, I was just going slower balls like, into the pitch um, or just slowly in general. So, um, yeah, obviously, Barker, I just 
thinking now Mallorca, uh, which I got, you know, a couple of good ones to him, which I think he only got away for one. And then I think it was my fourth ball when I got Dawson out. Again, another slower ball. He just tried to ramp it and righty caught it. And I think that was the moment there where, um, you know, going into the last over when they need eight, I felt, you know, obviously it was doable. But for me, it was probably more of Hampshire's game to win, I think. Like, you know, um, and so I suppose that semi-relaxes you a bit. And I mean, when they, when get after getting Dawson out with three balls left, so got him out and I think they needed five off two. And that was the moment I sort of thought, like, you know, we're actually, like, we could, we could generally, like, obviously, I believe the whole time, but that was the moment I thought this could generally actually happen. And then, obviously, um, Scott Curry came in, who has actually played for us the previous two games, which is quite funny. Um, one of those ones where I obviously passed him when he was going to the crease and, you know, you just sort of try and ignore him, um, give him nothing. And then, same process to him. I went slower ball into the wicket. Um, he, he pulled it for one. One of those moments again where they were looking for two, but obviously fielding the deep got it in, and that was the moment. I remember it being at those stumps when we fielded the ball in, and then thinking, "Christ, like Barker on strike, four, four to win." Um, and I just, you know, I was just thinking. Obviously, you get had Vian at mid off, um, and then Hilly at mid on, and um, remember them both coming to me, and obviously they have their like you know suggestions and stuff, and. I remember they just said to me, like, look, what what do you think is going to win us this game? And I just said, look, like, I'm just going to try and back my Yorker here. Um, and they were just like, go for it. And then that was the moment. I remember just it's off my mark. And it's crazy when you have that thought where, you know, playing the whole comp, you know, you bowled so many balls and you stood there at the top of your mark and you just think this is like the fact that I'm bowling, like, the last ball. Not just the last ball, the whole comp, but the fact that it's, you know, it's... Four, four or nothing. Do you know what I mean? It's, it was quite a crazy moment. Um, and so yeah, obviously just ran in. I was just thinking, you know, just try and nail Mallorca. And yeah, luckily, um, I mean, I was thinking I'd rather have it slightly more on the full side than short because, you know, last thing I'd want to do is bowl a half volley and he slaps it away. So, um, I just thought cramp him up and yeah, when he when he hit it away to Akers in the deep, I, I just remember I didn't know what to do with myself. I was like. I wanted to run off and cheer and then I thought, oh, I better be at the stump in case he throws it back to me and then obviously he threw it to swing and yeah, surreal, surreal moment. It is, isn't it? I mean, even talking about it now, even though it's a few months later down the line, it almost doesn't feel real, does it? I mean, it was the perfect fairy tale given the the strides that have taken place at Leicestershire in recent seasons, you know, compared to the absolute nadir of the 2010s when they weren't competitive across any format realistically, but in particular in Red Bull cricket and 50-over cricket, to see the the complete turnaround, to see this success at Grace Road, it's absolutely incredible, isn't it, to be honest, in such a short space of time. And in terms of the, the local homegrown talent as well, it's special, isn't it? I, I don't think we'll have a more special one-day cup than that for, for many, many years to come, to be honest, mm. because... It was just the perfect comeback, wasn't it? Hampshire 117 for two. You're thinking, okay, this game is probably getting out of Leicestershire's reach here. Then a load of wickets fall. It comes down to that final over. And it was just perfect, wasn't it? It was the perfect day for Leicestershire County Cricket Club. I don't think it gets any better than that, to be honest. And in terms of the immediate aftermath, 
you mentioned there about not knowing how to celebrate. That's completely understandable, to be honest. I don't think any human would be able to to pre-plan a celebration for a moment 38 years in the making. But in terms of the immediate moments afterwards, Josh, I mean, what were those conversations like in the dressing room? Obviously, there was that lovely presentation in front of the fans as well and taking the trophy around the ground. What was that like to experience a moment like that in your first season as a pro cricketer? Oh, I mean, it just... Um... Oh, I was just crazy, like, obviously, the winning moment. I remember I just, like you said, I didn't know what to do with myself. And I actually got a bit emotional, like, um, just remember being out in the middle and then obviously all the coaches come running out and, you know, big hugs and stuff. And then I remember we obviously all went to the to the to to that um, stand where all the fans were and obviously just clapped them all, getting a bit of appreciation for, you know, their support the whole game and whole comp, I guess. Um, and then I went, went over, saw mum and dad, um brother and sister and had a few mates as well um and then obviously had the uh medal and trophy lift which again was it's stuff which you know i've seen happen on the tv and like to be actually in that um you know be on that podium whatever you want to call it uh with your teammates was just like unbelievable um just a feeling i'll never forget and then I remember I actually got called to go and um, go and do a Sky interview. And again, that was another one where, you know, I've seen man of the matches and players and stuff like that go over and chat to them. And I remember when they called me over, I was just like, just thinking, like, wow, like I'm actually one of those blokes who's, you know, doing a interview on TV. Um, so, yeah, stuff like that just felt special. And then obviously I remember going to the dressing room and I mean, the celebration was slightly ruined. I actually had to go and uh, go and do a drug test. And I was I was struggling to uh, pee in the cup, so I was spent about forty five minutes trying to do that. So I missed. Uh, obviously, I I didn't miss it all, but I missed the initial um, yeah celebration. But um, <laughs> no, it was um, yeah unbelievable. Yeah, it really was. I'm I'm actually surprised by how many times that story comes up. It's always one a lucky person, isn't it? during yeah. the, the celebrations, who gets selected yeah. to do that. I mean, obviously, there is a reason for it. It's for anti-doping, but flipping heck of <laughs> of all the days to have to do it on the final during the trophy celebrations. But yeah, I know. what a day. What a moment for Leicestershire County Cricket Club. And in terms of one particular celebration, Josh, which I would just like to get your opinion on, Alfonso Thomas doing the Jurgen Klopp in front of the, the Leicestershire <laughs> fans. I mean, what was all that about? That was absolutely hilarious, yeah, wasn't I mean... it? That was that was brilliant. Um, I mean, I haven't actually spoken to him about it and why he did it, but um, oh, I mean, it's just you know, um, just the emotions in the moment, isn't it? I mean, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I mean, God knows what he was thinking during the game. I mean, I bet it was tough being a coach watching that, you know, roller coaster ride. But um, no, I mean, he was thrilled. I mean, I actually had a chat with him after the game and um, just about the final over and. You know, the fact that I was given the opportunity to bowl that last ball. And I think it shows what Leicestershire is almost about in terms of how they back your players and the trust they have. I mean, to let me, you know, 19-year-old, to have the opportunity to bowl that last over and the fact that they back you, um, I mean, it's so special. And, you know, I'm so thankful to have those opportunities, really. Um, Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? It really is. And, yeah, those celebrations, absolutely hysterical. To be honest, I've still got the video from that. So when Leicestershire win next season, 
yeah, I'll probably be putting that on the socials quite a few times. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's good for Alfonso as well, isn't it? Now the fact that he's he's become the full time coach and James Taylor, of course, coming on as the assistant. I think, to be honest, they deserve it after that Metro Bank yeah. One Day Cup success. So, yeah, there's real positive feeling around Leicester at the moment. It's brilliant to see. Yeah. Honestly, I know I keep on saying that on the podcast, but a Midlands county, which in the past has struggled in terms of not just the playing staff on the field, but obviously that off-field connection with the community and the fans, to see this unity, to see this togetherness, to see success back in Leicester is tremendous. It really is. Yeah. And honestly, I wish them all the very best of luck heading into the future because it really has been a very, very special season indeed. And in terms of your personal performances, Josh, across formats, I mean, it's been quite the the debut season, hasn't it? Your rookie year in county cricket, you've won a trophy, you've taken loads of wickets. I mean, in that one-day cup, you were the club's second leading wicket-taker behind only Chris Wright. You took 17 wickets at 24.43. I mean, that is absolutely staggering for your maiden campaign in the 50-over format. But in terms of the season as a whole, how do you summarise and reflect on your own performances in the summer of 2023? Yeah, I think it's one of those years where, I mean, going back to like the winter, I remember just talking to people and I generally like had no idea I was going to be anywhere near that like first team 11. Like this time last year, I was just thinking, you know, obviously I work hard anyway and I just want to obviously keep getting better. But I just thought, you know, I was just going to play a few like second team games and get that experience. And then, you know, who knows if I play the odd first team game, then great. Um and so, yeah, when I got told, you know, at the start of the season um, that I was going to make my debut, like, I was, you know, not not shocked, but just, um, yeah, like obviously having that opportunity there. And then I suppose it just kept carrying on in that way. Like, obviously, the blast, um, didn't think I was going to play any of that and then ended up playing, you know, um, a few blast games and then obviously that ended in the one-day cup. and. Um, I mean, I played far more than I thought I ever would have done, um, which is great. Um, and obviously some great highlights, like you say, that debut at Yorkshire, that game. Um, and then obviously the whole one-day cup was pretty special. Um, and then, yeah, just, I mean, obviously if you're, there's many learnings and, you know, many, many things it's given me I want to work on, which I'm, you know, uh, doing now in the winter and I think um, you know many areas I still want to work on like I'm nowhere near where I want to be yet um, so I think overall is you know it was a year which I'm you know very pleased about but um, I think just the learnings I got from it and the experiences I think um, you know are hopefully going to put me in a good place in the future um, yeah so just yeah looking forward to seeing what the next few years I have but um yeah, no, I'm working on a few things now, so yeah. It's an exciting time, isn't it? Let's face it, in yeah. terms of just the, the, the vibes at Leicestershire at the moment, compared to what they were a few years ago, there is a tremendous sense of, of hope and optimism at the club. And obviously, this has been led by this exciting wave of fresh young talent, which yourself, the likes of Rian Ahmed, Rishi Patel, are a part of. You know, it's a really, really exciting time at the club. And before we touch upon that future, Josh, and we speak about future aspirations and ambitions in this wonderful game, just 
one final question about the summer of 2023, and it's about those lessons. It's about those learnings. What do you say has been the biggest lesson that you've learnt over the course of this maiden season? Because now you're kind of into the swing of things. You've got that first season out of the way. You've had the success of the One Day Cup, and you're now gearing towards another successful season in 2024, hopefully. In terms of those lessons and takeaways, what do you say has been the most valuable thing that you've learnt from your maiden season in county cricket? Um, I mean, so many in terms of, like, I suppose you can split it in terms of, like, technical stuff. Like, I'm, you know, so many things I've learned about, you know, bowling, which is what I'm working on now in the winter. But then I think just um, in the whole game, just just like the whole experience of, it's hard to nail down one, but I think just like playing in terms of, I mean, I look back before the summer and like I had no sort of game experience, if you know what I mean. Whereas, you know, getting the opportunity to then experience four-day cricket, you know, experience what it's like to play away in, you know, stadiums against, you know, good sides and, you know, the sort of, what the recovery is like, you know, then having to like rock up the next day and play after spending a day in the dirt. Do you know what I mean? Those little things, um, which you don't necessarily know about, but you have to sort of experience. Um, and just, I think just, it's just like the whole scenario. Then like same in white ball cricket, like T20, like when I played in the blast, like that was another step up, obviously four day cricket, you do have a few fans, but then going and playing like a T20 in Yorkshire away, like in front of, you know, a hostile Yorkshire crowd. Like, it's moments like that which I've never experienced, which I have sort of done now. And um, I suppose it just, like, puts you in good stead for the future, I think. Um, experiencing those sort of moments in front of crowds, bowling under pressure is probably a massive one. Because, um, you know, you can bowl on the nets, but it's so different once you get out in the middle. Um, so it's just sort of like, yeah, just match scenario. I think that's the main thing. Uh, being under pressure, um, that that's certainly the main thing which I'd say I've um, I've taken learnings from uh, this summer. Well, again, that's completely understandable, isn't it? Because it's something which you can't buy. You can't buy experience. Yeah, it's exactly. something which just accumulates over time, and it will come, won't it? To be honest, as you do get more seasons under the belts, more match day scenarios, more pressure scenarios as well like that one-day cup final, for example, it just builds up over the course of your career and it's just about enjoying the process, isn't it? I know it's that it's that old coaching cliche, isn't it? It's what's better, the destination or the journey. But mm. honestly, the process, if you can enjoy that, you're going to be very, very well set in the game yeah. of cricket. And talking of that future, we've got to talk about the summer of 2024 because it's fast approaching. As we mentioned right at the start of the podcast, it's almost the new year. So, in terms of your future aspirations in this game, Josh, what are you looking to achieve both from an individual and a team perspective heading into the summer of 2024 and, of course, the years beyond? Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, I never look to try. I never try to look too far ahead. I think, you know, just try and take each step as it comes, really. I think, obviously, having this winter now is great to properly sort of nail down some technical work, which... You know, I've been wanting to do. Um, and then, obviously, when the summer comes, I guess all I can say is just try and... I think we've got a competitive squad now, so it'd be nice to try and see if I can just um, 
you know, just play first in cricket as consistently as possible. I think that's obviously the main goal of mine. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just see from there. But um, I think as a team, obviously, certain goal now is to try and push for that promotion. Um, and then obviously, you know, try and be more competitive in the blast and see if we can try and win that. 50 over comp again um so as a team i'd say we're in we're in a good position um but yeah on a personal level just yeah i'm just trying to take each step as it comes keep working hard and um yeah just whatever cricket i play just try my best and see what happens well josh it goes without saying mate but obviously myself and everybody associated with the counter cricket podcast are wishing yourself and the foxes nothing but the very best of luck heading into next summer and, of course, the seasons beyond. I mean, as you've just mentioned there, it is such an exciting time at the club with that young talent. Obviously, that extra title now. You've got the name card, haven't you? One Day Cup champions. You've got the target on the back. So that's going to be tremendously special as well heading into this season. And, yeah, in first-class cricket too, very, very competitive. I think this season was a massive step in the right direction for promotion. And, just looking at the batting and the bowling departments with another season of experience under your belts, it should be another convincing challenge heading into 2024. You know, when you look at the the streak at the moment, I think it's been 20 years since the Foxes have been in the first division. I think it might be the longest active streak in county cricket, but you guys have got the capability. You've got the talents, you've got the weapons, you've got the arsenal to do this. So, honestly, just wishing yourself and the boys all the very best of luck, mate. And, yeah, to be honest, Josh, I think that is a wonderful place to wrap up what has been an outstanding episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. I'm just looking at the time. We've been chatting for well over (laughs) 70 minutes. That's absolutely flown by, flipping heck. Goodness me, we really could talk about cricket all day here at TCCP. (laughs) But I do acknowledge the fact that you do have a life to live outside of the podcast. So just before we do start like finding goodbyes for the recording, Josh, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, anything like that? No, I don't think so. <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. Oh, fair enough. Right, in that case, we'll just leave our links to, the, to social media in the podcast description below, folks. So if you want to go and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and of course on YouTube as well. Hopefully, we'll have quite a few more videos to go up in 2024. We're trying to get some audiograms sorted, so the podcast will be available in both audio and visual on that platform, so please do go feel free to check that out in the podcast description below. But that is it from myself and Josh for today's episode of the Counter Cricket Podcast. To each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there, thank you ever so much for tuning in, and as always, guys, we'll see you on the next one.